0: Amen. I remember a few years ago, I did the funeral for uh, a person. I, I, it wasn't a church family. I don't remember the connection there. But afterwards, a woman who was a relative of the deceased wanted to talk. I'd never met her before, but she wanted to talk about religion, which is great. I always love to talk about things like that. So, uh, But then we got on the subject of Jesus not being accepted by the Jewish leaders of his day and many of the people. And I think I I quoted the verse from Isaiah that he came into his own, and his own did not receive him. And then she, she said this. She said, yeah, but surely it would be different today. If he came to the United States, we would receive him. We're a Christian nation. We wouldn't do the same thing that the Jewish people did. And I told her I really could not share her optimism on that point. I could not share her optimism because, especially after reading and studying through the Gospels and the Beatitudes in particular, don't you see with me that on every point, Jesus has a radically different value system. His kingdom has a radically different value system than our world and our society exalts in values and values and teaches. And so what do we see in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the... Those who are humble and meek before God. Those who blessed are those who mourn over their own sins and the sins of this world. Blessed are those who, um, trying to remember them all now. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting, thirsting for righteousness. Those who are, are the meek, who aren't seeking and pushing their own way, but are letting God direct their path in trust. Today, blessed are those who are merciful. They're not the ones seeking revenge. They're not seeking to get ahead, but they're showing mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. An idea of the world increasingly. My, those who are blessed are those who are peacemakers, and blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. This is not a Jesus that is in line with the American value system. Very often, the people we. Emulate the people we will look up to, the people that are brought before us on the headlines and in the movie, who are self-assertive, who are chasing power, who seek revenge and get it. So when we come to these words of Jesus here, blessed are the merciful, for they are the ones who will receive mercy. We should ask ourselves a very you know tough inward question. Do I want to be this kind of person? Do I want to be a merciful person? And what does that mean? So if we do want that, if we actually do want to be formed by Jesus and not the culture, then on this issue, let's pay attention to what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the merciful, for they are the ones who will receive mercy. All right, so first things first. What does Jesus mean when he talks about those who are merciful? All right, let's lay the foundation here. First of all, Jesus is not describing a person who just does an act of mercy, but the way this is formed in the original language, you say a little bit in the English, means someone whose character is shaped so that they are consistently those who give mercy. It's it's their nature to do so. It would be difficult for them to seek revenge, and to seek and to be and to be unmerciful because they are formed to be a merciful person. All right, great. So this is that's kind of the nature of that. But what does it actually mean to? give or to do mercy. I can sum up very simply. Giving mercy or showing mercy, being merciful means that I do good to someone who doesn't deserve it. I do good to someone who doesn't deserve it. Now let's break that down. What do I mean people who don't deserve it? Well, what I mean is in our normal way of thinking in this, in this world, we, we tend to have certain categories of people, right? So one one way of people who simply don't have a claim upon me because they've never done anything good for me. My wife has a claim upon me. If I do something nice for her, it's not showing mercy because she's done so much for me over the years. If I have a good friend, if I have someone who thinks like me, maybe, or, or I value in some way, and I do something good for them, Jesus says, that's basically pagan standards. It's all to do those, to do good to those who do good to you. But that's just basically the the baseline pagan worldly standard. So one aspect of people who don't deserve it simply means people who have no claim upon us, they've not done anything to us. And and of course, the the best example of this is the Good Samaritan. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? And in... uh, Jesus tells this parable, and this man is is beaten. He's left for dead. He's robbed at the side of the road. He's probably going to die, bleed out if someone doesn't take mercy upon him. And, and a, a priest and a Levite go, goes by, and then the Samaritan goes by, and he is the one, Jesus says, who shows mercy towards him. Now, it's not that the Samaritan, uh, not that the victim had done anything bad to the Samaritan. He hadn't done anything at all. It was simply he had no claim upon him. In fact, uh, he was of a racial group that had animosity towards uh, the Samaritans. And yet, all that the Samaritans saw was a person's need. He didn't see his Jewish guards. He, he saw them. But he didn't put that into his reckoning. All he saw was the need. So one aspect of people who don't deserve it are simply people who have no claim upon us at all. But secondly, going a little bit deeper, there may be people... That don't deserve it because they have hurt us in some way. And this could be something very subtle but repeated, or it could be something very sudden. Now, sometimes these people, very often these people, will be people that we have expectations upon because they're a family member, or they're a co-worker, or they're a fellow church person. And so we have these expectations upon them. And very often, they don't come through. And sometimes, they'll, sometimes these people will even do something much more uh, direct in hurting us. They will say something. They will do something. We will feel the stab of betrayal. Being merciful means I'm seeking that person's good apart from what they have done to me. It's not that I can ignore that somehow but that in I, in my calculations of how I respond to them, that does not figure in. What figures in is their need. Now, that brings us to the next part of that. I said I said uh, mercy is doing good to people who don't deserve it. Uh, so let's talk about then all right, what do you mean by doing good? Because good is a very slippery word, right? We can talk about a good meal or a good president or a good joke. Or a good car. It, it means something a little bit different in each case. Here, so here, I want to define this as well. Doing good to someone means as best as I am able to seek their ultimate good, to seek what they truly need. So that means that what they think they need from me, what they want from me, may not be their true need. You may have, like I've had in the, you know, you may have a someone you know in your life that's got substance abuse addictions or, or they, they're just making poor choices, uh, the self-destructive choices, and they come for you, you know, they want some cash or something. And you know that if you give that to them, there's a very good chance, or at least a good possibility, that they're going to use that to actually hurt themselves. Being merciful, merciful to that person doesn't mean giving in to what they want in that situation, but rather it might mean instead that I give them my time and my attention and my help and my prayer, and I'm willing to involve myself in the messiness. And by the way, that leads to another group of people that we may fall short in, in giving mercy to. And again, this is especially true sometimes in, in families. And that's people who have, are in a mess. They need our help because of their own sin or their own stupid decisions. I'm not going to ask a hand on how many people have a family member or a coworker or a neighbor that has needs because of their own sin and stupid decisions. If we were honest, though, if we look at the own t- our, our own life and the times we have needed help, isn't it a lot of times for those same reasons? Mercy is not saying, well, you made your head, now you're going to lie in it. Mercy doesn't mean just giving them what they want. But mercy in these situations in the day to day can mean very often praying and thinking through how, in my situation, is there any way I can give them help apart from whether they deserve it or not? Sometimes it's most merciful and it's most godly when they don't deserve it, when they've messed up. There's a play I, I think illustrates this very beautifully came out in 1959. It, it won a bunch of awards. It's called the Rais- A Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hansberry. Anybody ever seen the play or the movie? I think Sydney Poitier made a movie about that, a few of you. Let me, let me give you the plot real quick so you get the gist of, of where I'm going here. Walter and Ruth Younger and their son Travis, along with Walter's mother and Walter's sister, Benithia, they live in poverty, dilapidated two-story apartment. Uh, on the Chicago south side. Walter is barely making a living as a limo driver. The Ruth is content with her lot. Walter is not. He desperately wants to become wealthy. His plan is to invest in a liquor store a partnership with Willie and Bobo, two street-smart acquaintances. At the beginning of the play, Walter and Benetia's father has recently died, and Mama, Lena, is waiting for a life insurance check for $10,000. Walter has a sense of entitlement to the money, but Mama has religious objections to alcohol and doesn't want him to invest it, and Benita has to remind him that it's Mama's to spend as she chooses. Eventually, Mama puts uh, money down, a little bit of money down on a new house, choosing an all-white neighborhood on a new house, Uh, and later, though, she relents and gives the rest of the money, the majority of the money, to Walter. He's asked to reserve $3,000 for Beneathia's education, and he can invest the rest if he wants. Walter gives all the money to Willie, who absconds with it, depriving Walter and Beneathia of their dreams. So here's the setup for what's happening. You come to the family room, and Walter has just finally admitted that he has lost everything that could have brought them out of that poverty. He's blown it through his own stupidity and trusting someone he shouldn't have. Beneathia is furious. She looks at him with utter contempt, and his mama has to remind her to love her brother. Beneathia says, love him. There's nothing left to love. And mama says, there's always something left to love. And if you ain't learned that, you ain't learned nothing. Have you cried for that boy today? I don't mean for yourself and for the family. Because we lost the money. I mean for him, what he's been through and what it done to him. Child, when do you think it's a time to love somebody the most? When they've done good and made things easy for everybody? Well, then you ain't done through you ain't done learning because that ain't the time at all. It's when he's at the lowest and can't believe in himself because the world whipped him. So he starts measuring somebody. Measure. So when you start measuring somebody, measure him right, child. Measure him right. Make sure you do done take into account what hills and valleys he's come through before he got to wherever he is. That's a beautiful quote. There's always something left to love. And the time to love someone is not when they are successful, but when they need it because of their own foolishness and mistakes and when they're at their lowest. All right. That's what Jesus, I believe, means. When he talks about showing mercy, becoming a merciful person, becoming a person who's like that more and more as a, as a matter of nature. Why? Why should we become like that? I mean, the world's not going to value it, right? Most of the action movies I ever see, they value revenge or at least a very, very harsh justice. I remember watching a movie a couple months ago, John Wick, um, because I some people said, oh, this is a really good movie. It's a good action movie. I like action movies, right? Oh, I hated this movie john wick is this um retired assassin of course he's a retired assassin because they're all you know retired bad guys right and someone kills his dog he goes on a killing rampage in revenge killing 77 people in this movie because one of them killed his dog that's the kind of movies that we're fed to again and again the 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 one that we are supposed to look up to and emulate as being tough and and manly are the ones who get revenge. So why would we want to follow Jesus' word to give mercy instead? Well, I'll give you two reasons. Number one, because God's given mercy to us more than we could ever understand. Do you remember what it says in Ephesians chapter 2? As for you, put your own name in here. Let's make it personal. You and I, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead. We we were, it says, Ephesians 2, 3, by nature, objects of God's wrath. That means his wrath was directed at us by nature of what we had done. And then it goes on. But God, out of love for us, being rich in mercy, made us alive with him even when we were dead in sin. It is by grace you have been saved. And again and again and again. We are described as those who have been saved by God's mercy. It's not something we have done. It's something that God himself gives us when we don't deserve it. That is the mercy of God. And it's on that basis, that's the first basis that we are called to give mercy to others because we are the recipients of more mercy than we could ever give to someone else. Jesus tells this amazing parable in Matthew 18 about that very thing. He says, I want you to imagine a king. And he's got this, these, these servants, and he, he calls them together to give an account of, of what they've been doing. And it's discovered that one of his servants owes him a debt of 10,000 talents. Now, we hear that, and we're like, okay, I have no idea what a talent is. I don't know. Is that, is that a little a lot? Well, let me tell you. A talent was the highest currency of, of, of money in the in the ancient world. And 10,000 was the highest number you could talk about in the Greek language. They didn't have words for millions and and billions or anything like that. So 10,000 talents is a huge amount. Let me put it another way. 10,000 talents was more than the entire amount of taxes received in all of, of Judea in any given year of the first century. Wow. You know how many, how many uh how much we receive in taxes in the United States? It's about four trillion a year. So this is a debt in modern day equivalents to be about four trillion dollars. Well, that's no problem, right? You just you just pay a billion dollars for what four thousand years? Am I doing the math right? Assuming there's no interest, you pay a billion dollars for four thousand years and you got the debt paid. Now, the point is this this is an impossibly large debt that's impossible to pay. That's the point. It can't be paid back. Not by the person who has has done it. It can only be relieved. And that's what the king does. The king, in his mercy, forgives him the debt. And then that same guy, the one who owed that debt of $4 trillion, he goes out and finds a guy who owes him 100 denarii. All right, well, how's, how much is 100 denarii? Well, today's terms, about 12000 Now, if I had someone who owed me $12,000, that's not chump change, right? That's that's significant. That could help me a lot. But compared to $4 trillion, it's not a drop in the bucket. It's like one, grade of, one blade of grass compared to the whole lawn here. And he didn't forgive the one who owed him that, but instead prosecuted charges against him. And when the king heard about it, he was furious and said, should you not have shown mercy upon him because I forgave you this much greater debt? And in fact, in the parable, he even withdraws his mercy. So that leads to the second reason then. Not only because we have been given mercy, but because what Jesus has said there. It is those who give mercy who will receive mercy. Now, there's a tension here, right? And we're thinking through this. Jesus says, both in here and in the parable, it implies that if we are not merciful to someone else, we will not receive mercy. But on the other hand, he also, by the very nature of mercy, as well as the rest of the New Testament, tells us that we don't earn mercy in some way. It's not something we earn by showing mercy or, or any other good deeds. How do those fit together? Well, sometimes we just have to let the Bible be in tension because there are truths of both part. But what I what I suspect is going on here is this. Do you remember later on in the same Sermon of the Mount in chapter 7, Jesus warns that there will be people who come to him on the day of judgment and say, Lord, Lord, and, and, and so they're claiming allegiance to him. And what does Jesus have to say to them? Those incredibly sad words, go away. I never knew you. In other words, it is entirely possible to deceive ourselves about whether we really belong to Jesus Christ or not. And one of the ways we see whether that's true or not is are we becoming a merciful person? Is that even our desire? If you can hear the words of Jesus and that's not your desire, then I would suggest you have some hard uh, questions to ask yourself about your own salvation, right? But I'm persuaded of better things for us. So the third part, the last part of the sermon is this. All right. Hopefully Jesus has convinced us here. We want to be merciful because God's been merciful to us in a way that we can never duplicate. We can only extend in a limited degree. But we want to. How? How do I become a more merciful person? How do I grow in mercy? Well, I'm going to suggest one thing with with three different parts to it. We need to ask God's mercy in opening our eyes. We have to ask God's mercy even to be a merciful person, to open our eyes, to see some things that we normally wouldn't see or pay attention to. You know, I'm struck by how often in the scripture it talks about us having eyes or ears, but they don't They don't, uh, what we receive in them doesn't go down and change our soul. Paul prays that our eyes would be open to certain spiritual realities. So let's pray the same thing. Let's ask God to open our eyes. What do we need our eyes open to? Well, first of all, the cross. The cross. What he has done for us. Now, we know this in our head. But in that same passage where Paul talked about, I'm praying that God would open your eyes. He says, one of the things is that you would know the depth of God's love for you. You know what the implication of that is? We don't really know. We don't see. We don't understand the depth of what it means that the Lord of all creation stepped into our humanity, went to the cross for us to forgive us all of our sins, to make us his own children, to establish us as a new humanity, to restore us to being our rightful place before God. We don't get the full depth of all that that means and all that God has done. So we pray for that. God, I want to be a more merciful person, but it's got to start by me understanding a deeper level of your mercy towards me. And I I can't do that just by good intentions. I need your grace. I need your help. Would you please grant me the eyes to see the cross more fully, more deeply as I go forward in my life? That's the first part of the prayer. Second part of the prayer ask God to open our eyes, open our eyes to the ways that we continue to need mercy. So I don't think when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy, he's just talking about salvation. He certainly is. But I think it goes broader. Do we know how deeply we need mercy to make any part of this day before us the way it should be? We're so limited. Not only by our human finitude, but, but by our sin, by our selfishness, by our tunnel vision. And There's a line in a Keith, Keith Green song, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me, you know? And, and that's it. We need God's mercy to change us and to help us in a million different ways. To help in situations, some of the ones that people mentioned as they came up here. We need God's mercy on a continuing basis. You will never outgrow your need for mercy. In fact, as you grow deeper towards Jesus Christ, you will understand more that you need it uh, at a higher level. So praying that God opens our eyes not only to the mercy of the cross, but our continuing need for mercy. And then the last thing is this, that he would open our eyes to what he sees in the other person. That he would open our eyes to what he sees in that other person that maybe we're being called to be merciful to you know i've got my agenda my values the way i want things to look right and so when you come into my field of vision as a human i'm evaluating you and i'm looking at you through the almost the the filter of how you fit into my life are you someone who makes my life better or worse easier or more messy we all do this so part of what we're praying is that God would open our eyes to see this person and their value apart from all that, to see them simply as infinitely and eternally valuable as God has made them. To be able to to look past the, their outer garments of 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 their their class and station and and where they fit into our. Here's what I mean by that. Do you remember the Good Samaritan? when he looked across the street at that man in need, he could see, he could see before he even crossed the road that that was a Jewish man. Their garments were very, very different. And we see people with differences from us and political opinions and, and race and, and values and, and, and not, not just that, but the things that, again, that they've done or not done for us. And we ask God, help me to see past those, to see in that person someone you have made, someone you love deeply. And if there's any way I can be part of your mercy towards them, I want to be. That does not come naturally to us. That comes in answer to prayer. So to become a merciful person, we pray, God, to open our eyes to the cross, our own need for continuing mercy, and we need to ask him to show us what that other person really is in his, God's, eyes. Last question then as we conclude. Is that what you want? Do you want to become a more merciful person? Again, you're not going to do it because our our society tells you it's valuable. You will only do it because you are convinced that God has had mercy to you beyond what you could ever repay. If you do want that, can I just ask you to close your eyes for a second? We're going to sing a song about the the wonderful cross. And, and there's a bridge in there that's been added to that. The wonderful cross bids be come and die and find that I may truly live. That's the paradox, right? It looks like we're giving up our rights in some ways when we give mercy. It looks like we're giving up our time, our comfort to get involved in someone else's life in need. But the promise of Jesus is that that's where true life is, that he will take care of our true needs. So as we sing this song, before we sing this song, let me ask you a question. As you have your eyes closed so you can think about this more clearly clearly without distraction, is there someone that if God was here speaking to you right beside you, he might be saying, this is the person I want you to show mercy towards. I know they don't deserve it. That's the point. Otherwise, it wouldn't be Mercy. I know they don't deserve it, but they are eternally valuable to me. This is the person. Or maybe it's a type of ministry that helps people that God may be prompting your thoughts towards. Maybe it's something else I'm not even, it's not even on my radar screen, but it might be something God's been talking to you about. As we sing this last song about the wonderful cross, can I encourage you to bring that, whatever he's prompting you about, to him, to say, God, I'm there. I want to be more merciful in a very particular way. I don't want to leave this as a vague, general good intention. Show me. Show me how. I don't want to create codependency. I don't want to enable bad behavior. Show me how. Show me what it looks like. But help me not to shrink back for showing the same kind of mercy and care and messy love that you have shown to me to other people. Lord, would you.